Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. We're already on the Zoom call. Hi, Matthew. Oh, God. Girl drinks the root beer right before we start (laughs) recording. I'm so sorry. Before we get to the episode, Matthew, we got some housekeeping to do. Oh. First of all, we need to welcome a new Tutti Fruity. We want to welcome R.S. That is it. That is all this person is identified as. Lowercase mm. r, lowercase s. Mm. No okay. periods, no uh, gender identification, no nothing. It's like the poet E.E. E. Cummings or the wonderful mm. singer K.D. Lang. Or Jim J. Bullock. Or um. Jim- <laughs> a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. I do not know who or what you are, R.S., but I love you, we love you, and we're thrilled that you're supporting the show. So this is your official shout out, hello, and welcome to the family. David, did you just say, I don't know what you are? We don't know what pronouns R.S. Yeah. prefers. That's that's what I meant. I mean, I didn't think this person is a, is a chair or a, an airplane or something. I'm assuming it's a person. But it's just, however, R.S., however you identify, we support you. How is it possible? I mean, y'all know that we got like 10 more episodes to go, right? So, like, what, what, is it a monthly thing? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get like three <laughs> bucks from these people? Yes. But that $3 gains access to the entire back library of TV Talkaholics, as well as all of the extras that we post, because the extras are exclusives and those are never gonna see the light of day. By the way, general Mm. listeners, you know, someday you're gonna hear the TV Talkaholics, you're gonna, you've already heard a few of them in our betwixt episodes, but uh, the extras, those are exclusively only for the Tutti Fruities. Those will never see the light of day outside of those special awesome people. So enjoy those. R.S., whoever you are. There you go. Was was that better than? Yes. Inclusive language is important. It is very much, especially those cunty people that get mad when they, oh, never mind. Let's just not go there. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) And now, Matthew, let's go to viewer mail. Oh, oh, God, this scares me. I don't read the comments usually on Facebook because I don't want to get my feelings hurt. No, no, so. this isn't a, a Facebook thing. Uh, I'm sorry. I I just lied to you. I blatantly lied to your face. This is absolutely a comment on Facebook. But uh. I had to share it. Um, it's from Jeffrey S. And Jeffrey S. says, uh, here is what I think about Matthew Arder. Oh, and, God. No, I'm kidding. I'm no. kidding. It's oh. not what he said. Okay. And, and he, I assume, Jeffrey, you identify with he, him pronouns. I'm making an assumption. Correct me if I'm wrong. But Jeffrey writes, I think I've discovered the reason for Tootie's screaming in seasons four and five. And I will add beyond. After last week's wackadoodle performance from Tootie slash Kim Fields in Golden Oldies. Holy shit. I'm, I'm still like waking up in the morning going, what the fuck? was that but i believe that's what the kids say i'm still shook david is, how the kids... who is that is that the, the yeah. language the mm-hmm. hip kids are using yeah mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. wow anyway returning to jeffrey's comment he puts kim fields is such a good actress that she remembered that at the end of the sounds of silence at the beginning of season three tootie mentioned she would have to keep a tube in her ear kim fields is acting as if there is still a tube in her ear, which is why she was still screaming two and a half years later. And he caps it off with, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I want to hang out with Jeff. (laughs) 
Jeffrey, that was uh, readworthy. We had to share that on the pod. That's wonderful. And uh, yeah, to other people who comment, we do love reading your comments. And, and by we, I mean, I, Matthew, again, doesn't. And that's that's sometimes for the better because, you know, the things you say about him, uh, you know, I, see, I try don't to say, see that my stomach gets upset just hearing that. No! Like it's just... I can't like I'll read some of them and then I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you torturing yourself? Because one of these is going to be like, get that asshole off this show. No. And I just I, I can't. I, I will go to dark. No, no, no one has oh. ever. I promise you, no one has ever done a comment like that. And back before you were a, a weekly regular on the show, I, I assure you when people would write to just me say, hey, David, I like your show. And I really love the episodes with Matthew. You were you were a fan fave. You were. I just, uh, and contrary to what listeners hear on here and like the bitchy attitude, like it's like Howard Stern. Like I, this is this is my character on the show. You know, like I am so anxious about people liking me in mm. real life. And anyway, so that's why I don't read the comments on Facebook. It's not that I don't want to. It's just like I can't take it. I think people know that. I think your humanity, your vulnerability comes through with every bitchy quip that you make. So, any who's all. How about we get to this week, huh? This is a, I'm going to say a sleeper hit of an episode for me, David. A sleeper hit? Hmm. Like, like one you wouldn't say like, oh, I remember that episode. But I watched it and I was like, well, this is a lovely episode episode that actually moves like starts putting things in place mm -hmm. i will so, give you that i'm uh, i'm not sure i would call the episode bonza but i think it was really good i'm, I'm trying to uh, use more australian vernacular throughout the rest of the show matthew as promised a few episodes ago i would write down the my punchable pippa moments oh and yes that was that was the one. <laughs> Bonzer. Mm. Did you Google it? No, because I didn't have to, because they took valuable time from the show to have to explain what she just said. Stop it. For writing economy, stop it. Yeah, but you I wonder if they're even making it up. If, if it, you know, it could be, well, that's Kakroiki Crudeledle. Whatever does that mean, Pippa? Well, that means it's like when a person looks at you and you think they're judging you, but they're actually looking past you at a hot dog stand behind you. I don't trust them that they're actually using real applicable words. Is she not from Australia, though? She She is, but... She's also the, the new actress who is not yet under contract. So it's like, whatever word you want me to read, uh, as long as the check clears, I'll be reading that, sir. I am just the talent. All right. <laughs> but I did look it up. Bonzer is an actual Australian word, and it is a very typical one. And it means it does mean awesome. It, it's, you know, American vernacular analog, as it were. Yes, I know that was a Beverly Ann word. So sue me. Well bet. But let's start talking about season nine, episode 12, A Thousand Frowns, which had an original air date of January 9th of 1988. I did not understand what the title was referencing. Did you? I thought that too. And I was like, as thousands cheer, as, uh, as uh, uh, a thousand clowns. I, I was like, I, mm -mm. I didn't get the play on words that it was either. Well, I looked it up. I found what it was. Oh, good. It is a thousand clowns. You're right. Oh, yes. It was. It was a play that was on Broadway in 1962, starring Jason Robards and Sandy Dennis. Sandy it, Dennis. Yep. Yep. It was the wonderful. The wonderful. It was nominated for three Tony Awards, including Best Play. It lost that year, though, to a little play called Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Virginia Woolf. Virginia Woolf, yeah. So you, mm -hmm. you knew that. Well, I don't yeah. like to brag, but I was up for the role of Virginia Woolf. Were you? Yeah. They said too pretty. Oh, said. oh, did they? That, I can see that. Which, yeah. was, which is strange for a theater. <laughs> so uh, Sandy Dennis also won Best Supporting Actress Tony that year. God, I loved her as Peter Pan. Yeah. 
Sandy, no, that that's Sandy Duncan Deer. Sandy Dennis. Sandy Dennis actually would go on to be in the film version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. She'd be playing Honey alongside the wonderful George Siegel and, of course, Liz and Dick as George and Martha, respectively. Uh, anyway, so it was a play, but then it was made into a film in 1965. Jason Robards reprised his role, but opposite him was Barbara Harris. <laughs> I love her as the mother in the original Freaky Friday. Yeah, but I mean, mm -hmm. one of those people that was hugely famous, I guess, but now like didn't have the longevity or just didn't get into movies that kind of put her into because she was in the golden tree or the apple tree or something on yeah, Broadway. the apple tree on Broadway. Yeah, <clears throat> that was one of her big shows. And that was like, you know, name above the title. She was that famous. Um, so, yeah. And the film in 1965 was up for best picture. It did not win. And uh, I didn't look up what did win. Hey, Google, what won best picture Academy Award for 1965? Sound of music. I am on a goddamn roll. You are. Okay, so it was The Sound of Music that won. But Martin Balsam won Best Supporting Actor. So this is, I'm, I'm reading this going, okay, it was up for Best Play. It was up for Best Picture. And the supporting players won awards in the stage and film versions. I'm like, I, I guess I've got to see this damn movie. So I hunted it down and I started to take a peek at it. And I realized I had seen it. I had watched it because they mentioned it frequently on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. So I did watch it and clearly I did not remember any of it. It's perfectly fine. It's about a dude who doesn't want to work. He's caring for his nephew. He's an out-of-work TV writer. He's just been living on welfare. And Barbara Harris plays a social worker who is checking up on him. She's charmed by him and his nephew, but of course is like, dude, you need to get a fucking job and work or we have to take the kid away from you. So ultimately, of course, they fall in love and he goes back to doing a job, even though he doesn't want to because he thinks that you know, most jobs would make him conventional and conformist and all that. So there you are. That was the long way circling the airport to landing. Why a thousand clowns relates to this episode because we have a man who doesn't work. Phew. Well, Ooh. that was a great episode, Matthew. I've enjoyed talking. Oh, no, wait. No, we have to. <sighs> How about we blow through the nuts and bolts and then we can start talking about the actual episode? Huh? Oh, my God, please. This was written by Harvey Weitzman and David DiGregorio and Arnie Wes. This is their only episode of The Facts of Life they have some other credits, and uh, the most interesting thing is that Harvey Weitzman later would co-write the screenplay for the 1995 Keanu Reeves movie, A Walk in the Clouds. I just don't get how, like, how do you only write one episode that has this many plot beginnings in it, and then next week, totally new people come and be like, so what happened last week? Oh, I yeah. guess we should like, are the producers like, okay, this is the direction we're going. We've got these two are falling in love with the will they, won't they? And these two have just met, but they're actually, and they're going to end up, we're going to end up marrying them off. Like, how does that work as writers to show up and be like, so who is this character? What is she <laughs> like? You know, I just, I don't get it. So, but I'm not meant to get it. It's not for me. Just the talent. I'll read what you put in the script. <laughs> you just assume that the, you know, the quote unquote producers, the different varying levels of producers who we know are also writers for the show, that they're the ones uh, guiding the hand of these guys. But then why wouldn't they write it themselves? Because mm. you're right. We're introducing a major character that is going to be married to a regular character on the show. And we are severely advancing another romantic storyline yeah uh, and you know I, I i don't know that is so weird because they're not uh, listed they're not in the writer's room they're not producers who just haven't written scripts so i, I don't get it either and i will say that credit for harvey weitzman uh, he has other credits as well david de gregorio and arnie west don't even have wikipedia pages 
they only have like five, five, six, or seven credits a piece. Very, very little there. So uh, no need to talk about them more. And the episode was directed by John Boab. Hmm. So, Matthew, it's time for our synopsis. You want to do us a little synopsis of what happens in the episode? Yeah. Pippa has to decide what extracurricular activities she's going to do. Crikey. <laughs> is is extracurricular is that is that how they pronounce that in Australia? Yes, yes, that's how I that's how I learned to say it in the classes with Strasbourg. Oh, okay. You mm. actually studied with Strasbourg. Well, studied is a strong term. Mm-hmm. Oh, but uh, I take it you've been in his studio. He was handsy. Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. So this is Sherry Krenz's last episode as a recurring character. Oh, thank God. Uh, n- no, this is actually not good news. Oh, why would you set it up like that, David? <laughs> Next week, she becomes a main cast member. And she is in for the rest of the season. And this is where that uh, final image in the opening theme changes, where all of them around the piano now adds her. And that's where she will stay through the end of the fucking series. (sighs) So, yep, Pippa, you're you're here to stay. We don't have to like it, but we have to acknowledge it, I suppose. But to build upon your... Uh, synopsis, which was perfect, Matthew. I want to say it was absolute perfection. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And and to to if one can enhance perfection, I'm certainly going to try. Uh, we also have the introduction of this new character called Rick Bonner, whom Beverly Ann and the girls employ, quote unquote, employ ask to be like a big brother to Andy, since Andy doesn't have any male role models, and uh, we learn that. Rick doesn't work and he's planning to die within the next couple of weeks because all the men in his family don't live to 30 and he's about to turn 30. So there it is. That I I wish I were making that up. I wish I could say, oh, (laughs) here's what really is happening. But it's like, okay. Well, let's get started with uh, the analysis, our deep dive here. We start in the dining room and uh, we begin with the B story, which is Pippa and her extracurriculars. And let's let's get through the B plot, get it done, then it's off our plate. It is literally, Tootie suggests drama and swimming because they're on opposite days. Natalie finds this out and says, no, what are you crazy? Don't do that. You want to work on the school paper because those other activities don't have any boys. So she suggests the school newspaper and bowling like you do because you can learn to handle your balls. Ha <laughs> ha. Can you imagine a time where you just went into a bowling alley Put your hands into a bowling ball (laughs) and then use that hand to eat French fries. (laughs) After you put on shoes worn by how many fucking people? After you put on nasty shoes, like what? (laughs) What was that world like? The same kind of world where you would have pretzels out on a bar at like at the bigger jigger or at the chugalug, yeah. At the (laughs) chugalug. Right next to the ashtray, I guess. (laughs) And you could smoke in there. It's one of the last places that stopped letting you smoke inside. Oh, my God. Yeah, the bowling alley. So people with their fucking nicotine-stained yellow (laughs) damn fingernails are sticking their fingers in those fucking bowling balls. And you're just like, la, la, la. Uh, Let me have some of these fries. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Dip some chips in that salsa. Here, everybody have some. Anyway, so anyway, she's, yeah, she's going to suggest bowling. Bowling. (laughs) So then later, Pippa comes in and sitcom lies that she's been doing these activities. And Tootie and Natalie quickly realize that she has done neither. And Pippa is lying to them because she doesn't want to hurt their feelings. Pippa has actually decided to do something that she really wants to do. Join the Foreign Exchange Students Club. Well, oh, 
Having been around the world at Epcot, that is cast with college students from other countries, I was not mad at that choice. Okay, but it is at Eastland. So you're like, you know, is it just the girls? Is it? Oh, is Natalie right? Then I'm out. Yeah. Uh, But the punchline of this bit is Natalie goes, Natalie and Tootie are like, oh, it's okay. You can do what you want. And Natalie says, you try to help foreigners and this is the thanks you get. Ha ha. Mm. So it's not a very good payoff. And the only thing of note in this is we have a little uh, show Bible bad, two show Bible bad moments, Matthew, in one sentence. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. When Natalie is selling Pippa on the idea of working on the school paper, she says the bugle covers all major sports events for Bates Military Academy. Mm. What is wrong with that sentence, Matthew? Uh. Does does it not cover those events? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me let me be a little more specific there. You're technically okay. not wrong. Uh, okay. The bugle, the Eastland newspaper is not oh. the bugle. It's the Eastlander. Oh. Yeah, and they have affirmed that twice in season three, episode five, the front page, and season four, episode two, the source. Mm. So in both cases, the paper's called the Eastlander. I don't know why they would have changed it uh, within the last five years when it's been the Eastland School and it was established in the late 1800s, wasn't it? Like it's been around yeah. 100 years or something. And it's a much better name than the Eastland Bugle. Yeah, the the, bu- the Daily Bugle. That's just so, you know, shine boy. And that's, what, what is Daily Bugle? Is that Spider-Man, right? I have no idea. I just can't get past the word bugle right bugle. now. Bugle, yeah. That's one um, of those yeah. words that if you say it over and over again, it doesn't mean anything. Bugle. <laughs> uh, I, work, I work down at the bugle. The bugle. What's a, oh, what, what are you going to play your bugle? <laughs> He's uh. a boogie woogie bugle boy, a company B. He plays the bugle. <laughs> that sounds like a Rosen Island thing. Like a... <laughs> Like a, like a Norwegian, I don't know. Bugle, bugle. yeah. Yep, the, the bugle for Fenurigan, mm. yeah. Oh, I love this new snack, my bugles. <laughs> I propose that we, on a separate recording, just record you for 10 minutes repeating the word bugle, and we can put that up on the Patreon. Mm. Maybe another I love, time. I love to put checks mix out, but I add bugles to it. <laughs> bugles are good though because they do hold a dip if you got a good thick dip when you scoop that shit out yeah you can you can stick your bugles in some dip mm-hmm. and I... if you want to be fancy you can put a bugle on the end of every finger and it looks like you got fingernails yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the other part of that sentence that is fucked up matthew is bates military academy why is that? I made this same mistake when we were talking about the ROTC thing and why doesn't Natalie just go to some of the students and find out what it's like. And I said, yeah, she could go over to the Bates Military Academy. Well, listener Doug M caught me on that and corrected me on Facebook. Bates is the preppy school with the boys that the girls would date. Stone is the military academy that they twice attempted to spin off into its own show starring Jimmy Bio and all that stuff. So Bates is not the military academy. Stone is the military academy. So uh, Doug M, we're going to take your comments and send them back in the time machine and make sure to correct these writers because like me, they fucked it up. Mm. (laughs) And, And consider David publicly lashed by you, Doug. Thank you. (laughs) So that is the B plot. Let's talk about this A plot. (sighs) Let's talk about Scott Bryce in this new character that we meet in this episode, playing the wonderful Rick Bonner. Scott Bryce is best known for playing Craig Montgomery on As the World Turns. He played the role. I think other actors took over the role when he didn't do it but according to imdb he did it from 82 to 91 
So he mm. was actively in the middle of doing it when he did this show. Then he'd return from 93 to 94 and would also reprise the role in 2007 to 2008. Mm. And Shelley Brisbane, our guest from a couple weeks back, she sent me this wonderful link to a, a video podcast interview that he did where he talks about the show. And he had just done As the World Turns and the girls had watched him on the soap. And Nancy McKeon said, I want that guy. When they said, we're casting a dude to play your husband. Apparently, Nancy McKeon requested him specifically. And when he walked into the room for the first table read, he said they all screamed and cheered like fangirls because they were like, ah, it's that guy on the soap opera. They were so excited he was there. Isn't that I can, sweet? I can see why. He is not difficult to look at. I will say that. And what a difficult uh, 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 tightrope act that you have to do where you need to be so damn charming and likable in such a short period of time where people are going to be like, yes, we, we like the chemistry and we want Joe to marry you. I, I think he is perfection in this episode. Now, of course, I know him best from his role on Murphy Brown, where he played Corky Sherwood's um, fiance and then husband, which made her Corky Sherwood Forrest. Yes, Corky Sherwood Forrest, man, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so, um, but if you Google him, the image that comes up the most, in addition to him marrying Nancy McKeon later in this, uh, this season, it's also a picture of his wedding on As the World Turns, when he marries the character of Betsy Stewart in 1983, played by a young unknown actress named Meg Ryan. Oh, wow. Before she was a big time famous movie star. Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever happened to her? Whatever happened, I don't know. She's with Molly Ringwald in the Forgotten Gems section of the video store. Here's another interesting factoid. Scott Bryce is 64 years old. Still working, still out there. A lot of, uh, of credits, 62 credits, in fact, in a 40-year career. Here's the thing. This episode was filmed on September 8th of 1987. Mm -hmm. So that means he was 29 years old, exactly as the character was. And it broadcast January 9th, 1988, three days after his 30th birthday. Oh, my God. He did live. He okay. did. He did live. And he's still alive 35 years later. Hallelujah. So you will recall he was not available for the Facts of Life reunion movie. So some other random French Canadian actor was brought in to play Rick as a walk on. Uh, some accounts say that he couldn't do the reunion movie because he was doing As the World Turns. But he wasn't playing that character then. According to IMDb, it looks like that was when he was on the show Popular which was an early Ryan Murphy show. And that's why we don't see him. It's like in the reunion movie, it's bad enough we don't have Nancy McKeon. And then it's like, oh, hey, Rick, because you're totally Rick and we recognize you because you're him. <laughs> why Why they even have to have the character? Yeah. Why couldn't the daughter, the little daughter, the little you know Joe clone just show up? The Pippa, if you will, of the reunion movie. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's walking around this bitch. Who the fuck? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But last word on Scott Bryce is currently he's on the board of directors and the technical advisor for the New Paradigm Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. Mm. So still out there, still making art, still a part of the theater community. So yeah, basically... The introduction of Rick as a big brother type for Andy is resoundingly successful. He's helping him with his schoolwork. Andy has a, a guy to help him learn how to shave. By the way, that whole scene with Cloris Leachman uh, teaching Andy how to shave with the spatula. Yeah. That's cut from syndication. Mm -hmm. That does not exist in the Daily Motion version. So that's too bad. It's a sitcom trope. And a Hollywood trope. David, when you shave, do you make any of those faces? What? No. I, I just, why is that always a thing? Like, it's in all of me, too. Yeah. 
where they're like, stick your tongue out into your. Why would you stick your tongue into your cheek? Like to shave. Yeah, that's but stupid. It's yeah. all this stupid stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how, why or how that became a, a comedic device over the years. But OK, not to mention he's bought like a chic razor and Beverly Ann is practicing with the spatula as though she's using a straight razor like Sweeney fucking Todd. Yeah, uh, which was weird. But anyway, we don't have any of that. And sadly, we don't miss it. Other than it's just, you know, Cloris Leachman getting to ham it up a little bit. But later when Andy appears with a whole bunch of cuts and little toilet paper pieces, that's where they say, so Rick's still in the process of teaching you how to shave, huh? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I had to take care of the five o'clock shadow. And Rick says, yeah, you know, once a day is probably enough. That's probably good enough for you. So we, we didn't need all this other stuff, interestingly. Well, the only thing that's really missing is him saying to the girls in that scene, you guys can talk to each other. I don't have any guys to talk to. So we do without that scene, we do kind of miss. It's not really explained why they suddenly have decided that they need somebody. Yeah, that's where Joe says, well, maybe I could. Initially, Joe says maybe Casey could kind of take him under wing. Yeah. And Beverly Ann does say Andy never really has had a father, except for the foster dad that he had in seasons six, seven, and eight that we had to retcon at the beginning of this season for me to be able to adopt him. But other than that, he never has had a father figure. So... Uh, yeah, it is. It is the scene that kind of is the precipitating catalyst, as it were. But yes, Beverly Ann. Yeah, it's exactly. a precipitating catalyst. Yep. <laughs> so you want to talk about some horny Andy moments, Matthew? You know, I do. Yeah. Nothing like talking about a horny 14 year old boy. Jesus. Mm. I know it's it's deeply upsetting, but this is why we need to bring this out, that this is not done anymore. And you can see this as an example. Why? Because it's creepy AF. First words out of his mouth. He's come home with a bag of groceries and he says, you know, I'm going to stop going to that market. They moved all of my favorite magazines behind the counter. Uh, OK, so that means you're you're looking at penthouse and hustler and playboy of course he is he's a heterosexual 14 year old boy okay wow i looked i looked at it as a gay 14 year old boy for god's sake oh i did well, too well, david i understand in your time national geographic was about as <laughs> as pornographic as you could get and they weren't going to put that behind the counter but yeah. i mean you know those of us that that are younger <laughs> no the, the pre-vhs era Though after I did look at my first penthouse, I did have a much greater respect for cold cuts. But anyhow, I have another horny Andy moment where as he and Rick are going out and Rick is wonderfully jokey where she's like, okay, you're not going to keep him out too late. And he's like, no, of course not. Is his passport up to date? <laughs> I had to make the decision. I was not going to make him a creeper because I liked him so much. Agreed. Because there was a lot of things in there that I could have been like, this whole episode could have been like, get your hands off my son. Yeah. Like, but but I had to make the choice that I was not going to have that mindset. So I just know that know that it was a conscious decision. Yeah, I am with you. And my conscious decision is, of course, Casey had performed a full background check on him before he let him volunteer at the center. Of course. Is, is volunteer the word that comes out? Because he says, I hang out here. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Let's may again, maybe we should not scratch that surface too deeply. Hmm? No, we're just yeah. gonna because we like him. We he's do. Nice. We he's do. Cute. And he wears gray sweatpants. Ooh. <laughs> but Andy does say as they're leaving, so where do you go to meet girls? And he goes, do you ever think about anything other than girls? And he says, no. And after Andy leaves, Rick leans back into the room and says, me too. <laughs> and it's just so cute and so charming. And it's like, okay, yeah, you take that 14-year-old with you and you both go trolling for pussy. You have my seal of approval. 
I would like it known there are two times, David, in this, and it's just completely out of context. There are two times in this episode, Natalie enters from the shop in one scene and Tootie exits into the shop in one scene. Oh, wow. We don't see the shop, but (laughs) that's the door they use. 12 weeks and counting, ladies and gentlemen and others. 12 weeks now. We have not seen over our heads since last season. So the third sort of C plot that's going on here is that Casey is supposed to have a meeting with Blair. He's frustrated because she's late. So they end up making it a lunch meeting and then they don't come home until fairly late after we find out they continued their meeting into dinner and going to a movie Uh. and they almost kiss. Yeah. Joe were not there to interrupt the flow and keep her girlfriend away from that fucking dude with a dick, you know? And we get to see it again in his jeans at the center. Mm-hmm. Holy cabooses, Paul Provenza. Yep, that's a bulge. Oh, my the, God. The Provenza protrusion, as we can call it, I guess. Mm, my lordy. Mm-hmm. It's almost as lovely as Rick's ass in them jeans, though. Damn. Oh. Mm. Very nice. So before we go to commercial, though, before it is revealed, this bizarre thing of the 30-year-old expecting to die thing, which is why he's not working and gave up a, a lucrative career as a concert pianist. Yeah. The fuck is that? That just makes him more opposite of Joe. That is, yeah. I think, one of those things. And also there's one coming up where... Joe's dad doesn't like him because they have so much in common and then they jam because Joe's dad is suddenly a jazz saxophonist. Oh, that's next week, I believe. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, I think that's next week. (laughs) And with that, let's just add as another little sidebar. Joe and Rick are not connected in this episode. There's just a little touch of extra friendship of she already knows who he is when we first see him at the center she's like oh hey rick so it's not like she's introduced to him but there's no romantic anything's going on with them now and i know next week is the episode where he meets her dad so i'm kind of like okay well we're going to be making a little bit of a a time leap ahead i assume where suddenly they're a thing and have been I guess. But there is an awkward edit where he says, careful how you talk to me, Joe, or I'll come back and haunt you. The way he looks at her and the way she smiles in return, and it's edited so quickly, it was an awkward edit. Like, that needed to be longer for her to kind of, like, show that she got a little goose pimply. Like, like, oh, yeah. she got some butterflies that thought of him haunting her. Mm -hmm. But there is that wink to it, but I, I don't know why it was edited so poorly out. Yeah. And when he, we get to the point later where it's after midnight, you've made it, you're 30. Uh, she kind of hugs him a little more than the others. Like they're, they're doing connective things. This is, okay, we will credit Mr. Boab for the direction here to make sure to at least be foreshadowing that, that, you know, they're a little bit more than just uh, people who cross paths down at the center. But the one cringe moment, the really difficult cringe moment And sadly, one of the funniest moments in the episode as well is when he comes back with Andy late, like midnight. And Beverly Ann's like, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, it's midnight and Beverly Ann is in full clothes and earrings. Mm -hmm. Full face of makeup, heels, pantyhose. Yes, absolutely. So she says, where have you been? And Andy says, we went to this bar. And he was like, no, no, it's okay. Andy only had a soda. And one of the girls says, well, what did you have? And he says something like, oh, I had some whiskey and some beer with a beer chaser or something. And Joe says, well, that's a perfect before driving cocktail. And he says, do you think I'm the kind of guy that would drink and drive? At which point Andy says, I drove just as Rick covers his mouth and physically restrains him. (laughs) I mean, comedic timing, Mackenzie Aston. It was perfection masterfully performed by the both of them. But when he does say, yeah, so it wasn't smart, the smartest thing to do, you know? Yeah, it was, it was a dumb thing. I'm like, oh, if you just could have made that a little more apologetic, a little more something, a, well, I only had the one drink and we were there for three hours. I 
figured I was in the clear, but I'm sorry, you're right. It was a little, that was going a little too far. If he had just been a little bit more apologetic, but I think what the episode was trying to set up was the the drama and the negativity and the we're about to banish you for life and then I only have two weeks to live. Yeah. Dum dum dum. And then we go to commercial. Some things before the um commercial though, David. Mm-hmm. That lovely scene between Casey and Blair. Oh he, lo- he loves her. She loves him. Yes. And when he says it's like, I love those old Tracy and Hepburn movies. And even when they're arguing, you know, they'd rather be making love. Awkward. Awkward. Who says making love? It made me think of this is my lover. That skit in SNL. And it's like, anyway. Um, (laughs) But I just love that reference, even though Catherine Hepburn was the biggest wig puncher in Hollywood. (laughs) They they were drinking buddies, everybody. They were yeah. drinking buddies. Oh, totally. Yeah. Her and Spencer Tracy. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a lovely scene, and it and it has that sort of uh, well, uh, good night. Okay, good night. Oh, it's so cute. He's so. I'll precious. see you tomorrow. Okay, he's yeah. So, he's so natural. He's yeah. so good, Paul Provenza. Yeah. No, but, I'm on board. I'm on board with Casey, and I don't know why I was thinking that. At one, like I said, I haven't watched these much in repeated viewing. So when I did get into season nine, I think I've only seen these episodes once before, Matthew. Wow. And somehow, somewhere, I got it in my stupid head that Casey and Joe were a thing. And then they oddly changed gears, but that was never a thing. This is playing out beautifully. And I absolutely give it my seal of approval. It's awesome. And we do need to discuss the vaudevillian writers. Oh, bless. In that scene, what's so funny is Joe's cleaning up. What's so funny is she's giggling while she's cleaning up. What's so funny? Oh, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, you and Blair. Come on. It's yeah. 1988. Mm-hmm. You, you could have given her anything. Eddie Murphy. You could have given her anything. What's so funny? John Candy. Yeah. Like Ackroyd and Belushi. Yeah. The church lady. Yeah. You're on NBC. You could have pulled something from SN. It could have been anything, but Laurel and Hardy, come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Jesus H. Yep. Almost as bad as I don't know what movie theater they were going to in 1988 that was showing a Spencer and <laughs> Tracy and <laughs> Catherine Hepburn movie, but that's beside the point. Yeah, like those early days when, you know, Natalie was into the Marx Brothers and yeah. the Three Stooges and all that shit. Um, oh, oh, speaking of the, uh, I think I think the middle-aged vaudevillian writers, we're nine seasons in now. So I think these middle-aged vaudevillian writers are now uh, beyond retirement age. They're, <laughs> they're collecting their social security checks because when Tootie and Natalie are arguing about, well, you told Pippa to join the drama club? Why would you do that? And- Tootie's is like, you told her to join the newspaper? You want her to work on something that people wrap fish in? Oh, yeah. Wrap fish in newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. X3, X3, read all about it. (laughs) What what the shit is? That's like, that's some depression era shit. What is that? I would have preferred um, Lina Birdcage with or something. You know what I mean? There you go. Exactly. (laughs) But a great moment between Andy and Joe, two really good actors when they're sitting there and she's explaining to him and he says, he's not going to die. You promise. And it just was a great, great scene. Mm -hmm. It is. I wish the premise made a little more sense. And And I I was (sighs) trying to think about that when they went to commercial and I looked it up and I was looking, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if this was the same night that the golden girls episode aired where the Sophia's friend was going to kill herself. Oh, (laughs) that episode. That would have been hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. But cause I was like, I was like, maybe would that be too dark? Like if he was like, well, nobody in my family has lived past 30. So I'm just going to kill myself. I I thought that too. But I didn't, I, it's so dark. And what Casey says also kind of uh, pushes that too. There's a couple of lines cut from the syndicated version. But when Joe 
tells Casey about the Rick situation. First of all, he says, geez, Joe, you're supposed to be a trained social worker and you handle that like a trained seal. Uh, is, is Joe a trained social worker? I was afraid I had missed something and perhaps somebody will let us know in the comments. But <laughs> is that what the mysterious major did? She major in social work? I would hope uh, so. I mean, I, I guess so. There were we've talked about there were certainly uh, allusions to her wanting to help kids and, and that. But, you know, maybe having an education background because she was going to work for that software company developing curricula for you know, educational software. So it's got, but at no point, other than we know Blair goes into law school, we never really know what the fuck Joe studied to get her, not quite an Ivy League degree, but again, this is, Langley is on par with uh, Wellesley and Brown, mm -hmm. I believe. So it's like, this is a pretty she she fon fon place where she got her scholarship lined up for school and was, uh, not quite the valedictorian, but close to it. Uh, she was class speaker, David. Class speaker, which is even better than summa cum laude. That was classa cum speake. Apparently a more important speaking gig than the valedictorian of the <laughs> class. Exactly. But what was that? But, but, but Rick then goes on to explain that Joe handled that poorly because Joe's kind of like, ah, that's stupid. You're not going to die when you're 30. Hey. And Rick says, and Casey says, Joe, if Rick believes he's going to check out, he says the word check out, it might just happen. Talking about the power of auto suggestion. Mm. It, that's where I was like, okay, that's sounding like, you know, the conversation should have been an inappropriate, completely wrong for the episode, but appropriate to life is, okay, so did you get the sense that he's planning to die at 30? Like he's making arrangements and plans to make sure he doesn't, like, what's, what's really going on here? So it's just very, very strange. I I don't know what the fix is. I do not know other than it's, if it was less specific, if it was my family typically, the men in my family typically don't live much beyond 30, like as opposed to the age of 30, this hard out. Yeah, well, and it's like, why has he decided that it's going to be on his birthday? Yeah. Because none of them has made it to 30, I guess. They've all died in their 20s. So maybe it should have been his 31st birthday. Like, I've got one more day of being 30, and nobody in my family has lived past 30. So, I mean, my birthday's at midnight. Yeah. and Because, like, they're all celebrating the fact that he's now 30. Yeah. But, but nobody's lived past 30. It's not yeah. like they all died on their 30th birthday. So maybe that was the thing. It's the I'm I'm 30 for one more day and nobody in my family has made it past 30. So then they can celebrate the fact that he's 31. Ah, he's made it past 30. How about yeah. that? I, I would accept that. I would also say you, you could also back that up a year if they want to make it his 30th, a landmark birthday, which I think has some dramatic merit. Just say all the men in my family die in their 20s, period. None of them has made it. 230. 230. Yeah. Well, that's basically what I just said, but I mean, but no, you just said 31. Year. Right. Yeah. You took it right. Back no, no, no. Year. I'm not. Yeah. What, what if they said, Jay, but how about this? What if they said nobody in my family has made it past 28 and it's my 29th birthday? What if they had said that, David? Mm hmm. That... I think you're losing your sense of whimsy, Matthew. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Right. But no, no, I'm not it's, disagreeing is... with you, but what I'm saying is making it keeping it the 30th birthday because it's a landmark birthday. That's the only thing. So I like, I'm combining your idea, your good idea with the lousy idea of the writers. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> having my good idea jump lumped in with a bunch of lousy ideas. Yeah. Um, you but... make it marginally better though. You really do. <laughs> Suicidal <laughs> thoughts aside. So let's, yes. let's just say that suicide absolutely is a tiny little thread a little tendril that, that kind of flows through this where you're like what 
what's yeah. happening. But anyhow, what were you going to say? They come back from commercial. Natalie and Tootie are playing chess. And Tootie's sitting there in her goddamn hat. <laughs> Jesus. I just. God damn it. Come on. At, sitting around the house in a hat. That's what duty does. Even babe. the golden girls didn't sit around in hats, like full <laughs> sweaters, pantyhose. I get it. But fucking sitting around the house in a hat. I, just, <laughs> I was like, God damn it, Tootie. Uh, wow. And I, am I, am I a difficult actor? Because I would be like, why am I wearing a hat? Yeah, and, like and Chlor- why wasn't Cloris Leachman like it's midnight why am I wearing this like yeah. am I a difficult actor or is it just like you know shut up and put on what they fucking tell you to put on and go where they tell you to go you're just the talent you're there to read the fucking lines and get the funny we worry about that shit that's not your job that's not your department I'm wearing a hat while I play chess yeah like a 19 year old does you know yeah, like, yeah. That, that's Let's play a game of chess. And when Natalie loses, she says, best 13 out of 25. <laughs> that that's, was funny, but that's a good line. She's <laughs> like, again, uh, do you maybe have a store that you should be minding? Any, anybody? Not this late. Store's anybody? Closed. Store's closed, David. Store's closed. And yeah, I'm telling you. But no, no, when Natalie and Judy are playing chess, that's during the day because Pippa comes home and that's when Pippa admits the circumstance. Oh, and Andy right. and Joe uh, come in saying they're out looking for Rick because his birthday's tomorrow. And then when Rick shows up, by the way, walks right the fuck in. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I did. okay, we went very quickly from ringing the doorbell to just walking on in. Hey, what's up? Not creepy. Uh, well, and that horrible line. Did you check the M-O-R-G-U-E? Or whatever she says, the yeah. Lord. And it's like, first of all, Andy's not three, nor is he a dog. It's not like you have True. to say, "Oh, I'm going to go for a walk." You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like seriously, yeah. That was okay. And again, that whole thing of, as in, did something happen to him, or did because all the reasons of what happened to his, it was it was kind of like freak accidents and stuff. Yeah. And, and maybe that is better in terms of, you know, Blair does say, well, could they find a cure for whatever it is you have? And short of saying I'm in perfect health, it's just something happens. It's like it's this is like a final destination type of a thing. Yeah. So it's again, the premise is weird. And even with uh, our adjustments to the, the 20s and the th- it still is weird. It's just weird. And then after we have this. Uh, sweet but at the same time a little bit maudlin talk of well what would you do if you knew you had only a couple of hours before you were gonna die Uh, and people are like you know i would do this natalie says she'd go to the newspaper oh by the way she says she'd go to the peakskill register yeah remember a few weeks ago we talked about did she get the job at the peakskill press it was the peakskill register i'm making a correction like from a fucking month ago I just um, was like, I heard that. I would I would go down there and I would write my obituary because I don't think anyone can do me justice. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> what have you done? Maybe what? that'll win you that Pulitzer, Natalie, uh, that you keep talking just, about winning. The ego on this girl. No yeah. one can do me justice. You're a, a freshman who skipped a year of college to do odd jobs and worked at a taco joint. What justice do they have to do for you, Natalie? Oh, that wore me me out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. You know what it is? That would have been a hilarious line if like 15-year-old Natalie had said it. Right. Like that's that's a funny line for a precocious teenager to say. That's them not quite writing for the adult Mm. (laughs) that she, all the adults that all these women have become. But um, yeah. But they anyway. decided to have this birthday party for him, right? And what 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 thirty year old doesn't love playing a little pin the tail on the donkey at their birthday party? Because that was fun. Yeah, was that was it really? Yeah, you sure um, you don't want to just sit around and talk about having your family and friends nearby you so you can spend time with them before you die? 
That's always fun, birthday party talk. I always initiate those conversations. I always love a good pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> are, are you the tail or are you the donkey, Matthew? Well, I was hoping for a little heads up, seven up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus Christ, little duck, duck, goose. How about? <laughs> I just love like, again, sitcom. We're only, we only got 20 minutes. Tonight's been perfect. You don't know these people. <laughs> you walked into their house. You think you know them, but you don't. Oh, I get like, you know, the feeling of comfortability. We have to kind of, I guess, put into what's that into sus- d- disbelief. You know what I mean? The suspension yeah. of disbelief. But I guess. Uh, well, the other I- question is, we don't know how Rick gets by we don't know what money he lives on if he doesn't have a job did he save up money from being a pianist and all that but anyhow as they're talking about all of this to kind of get us moving toward the end of the episode the big denouement as it were the decolletage okay sure uh but andy says you know what you guys got it all wrong why wait until your last day i'm going to start doing what i want to do right now I'm going to quit wasting my time doing stupid stuff like studying and cleaning my room. It's like Rick says, live for today because tomorrow may never come. At which point Rick is like, I said that? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to give up anything serious and just go around having fun. That's what you did. And I don't blame you in the least. And Rick just on a dime is like, you know what? Blame me, Andy, he says. And Andy's like, oh, and he says, you've made me realize I've been a real jerk. You know, we're all going to die sometime. What would this world be if everyone was just irresponsible and living for their own pleasure and fun? And while he's going off on this monologue, the girls are trying to interrupt him going up, Rick. And he's like, hey, 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 shut the fuck up. I'm a stranger in your house and I'm talking. So what would it be like, Rick? Would you bitches put a goddamn latch on it? Finally. One of them says, Rick, it's after midnight. You you live 2.30. You're here, and it's all good. Yeah, and Andy has the gayest moment in the history of Andy. You're talking about he, the, the, hand, the hands yeah, clasped? the hands clasped. Clasped in front of his mouth. I noticed that, too. I was like, ooh, Mac. Okay, oh. Mackenzie. <laughs> all right, Mac. I think you, maybe his mother coached him on that. But uh, anyhow. With the final words of Rick saying, life is not a rehearsal, it's only one performance. And then they say, you're 30, it's after 12. And he does hug Joe there. That's where I have a note that he hugged Joe, that he hugs Joe. And you know what? When it's 1988 and you know your friend's not going to die and you're bringing out a birthday cake, Mm -hmm. Matthew, Mm -hmm. what, obviously, what do you sing? Or he's a jolly good fellow, David. Of course, that's what you sing. Who wouldn't sing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow? Do you know why? No royalty rights. I did a deep dive. Illuminate me. Happy Birthday was licensed in 1949 by Warner Chap Warner. <laughs> Warner Chapel Music. Uh-huh. And they licensed it and collected royalties on it until 2015 when a judge when it was taken to a judge because the original writers of the song did not know in back then how to copyright it and all that stuff um so a judge saw this that it was not actually ownable by (gasps) warner warner chapel music they just declared it public domain in 2015. Wow. So in 1989, they would have had to pay Warner Chapel Music to use Happy Birthday. Now, that being said, <laughs> because he felt like that they were doing, they were a little shady in their dealings, Warner Chapel Music had to create a fund to repay every royalty they had received since 1949. Oh, fuck a <laughs> Duck. <laughs> oh shit. So yeah, it was too it be, it became it was declared public domain in 2015. Fascinating. 
Thank you for that. You're welcome. Because I wondered why they chose that instead of happy birthday. Yeah. But for for he's a jolly good fellow. Yeah, such a stupid. Oh, stupid. I mean, anyway. But the episode ends with they turn out the lights to bring in the cake with the candles. And when they turn the lights on, Rick is slumped over on the desk behind the couch. Yeah, because it was so pitch black, you couldn't see him sit down and do that. Yeah, and they were like, whoa, no, he actually did die. Whoa. And then he scares Beverly Ann, which she performs brilliantly. Cloris's jump and scare expert, magnificent. Joe wraps her arms around his neck from the back. Oh, I did notice that too. Yeah. So yeah, they're planting the seed. And Rick's last words are, well, you can't expect me to change overnight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there you have it. We now have Rick Bonner, a member of the family here at the <laughs> soon to be defunct over our heads. Well, David, and- I would watch a sitcom about these two couples living over the community center, running the community center or whatever. If this were a backdoor episode, I would watch a a sitcom of this. But then I thought to myself, is it too much Brady Brides? Oh no. (laughs) Can anything be too much Brady Brides, Matthew? Yes, the Brady Brides. Yeah, okay, you're right. You're totally right. That was too much Brady Bride. But <laughs> I thought let's make a cute sitcom because they're both opposites-ish. You know what I mean? And clearly yeah. you would think that Rick would be more suited for Blair and Casey would be more suited for Joe, but they're not because he loves Blair. So I would watch that. Yeah, but you've got Casey, the the crusading for the people type of a person, the male version of Joe, and him dealing with Rich Blair and all of that, that entails him going to fundraisers and to the opera and all that shit. But yeah, with Joe, we have, Joe is so sensible. So how many times have I used the word pragmatic describing Joe in earlier episodes? Joe is so sensible. Make Rick be this, this loose cannon, this just, hey, fly by the seat of my pants and all that, because I'm a concert pianist and I make so much fucking money. I tour two weeks a year and I don't have to do anything else the rest of the time. Yeah. I can mentor the kids. I can go to the carnival. I could, you know, the idea that he just has this level of freedom about him where Joe is so work, work, nose to the grindstone. What would we call this sitcom, Matthew? What, what, would, be the, what would be a viable title to pitch this to the network? The Brady Bride. <laughs> Um, the, it, it could the be Blairy the, Brides. The Facts of Life Brides. Um, the Facts of Brides. Uh, the, the Facts of Marriage. The Facts of... Oh, that's, <laughs> that doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? No, but neither does the, neither does the Shelter, does right. it? <laughs> Give me Shelter. That's a, that's a wonderful title. Yours, mine, and ours. Yeah, oh, <laughs> no. Which is a Lucille Ball movie. Also a Lucille Ball movie, The Facts of Life. Yeah. Was it Henry Fonda? Is that who she's? Not the same storyline. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Garrett looks totally different. (laughs) (laughs) This was a good episode. This this was. And and I'm not sure why. Because I had a lot of little problems with it. But I think it's because I really didn't remember Rick. And being introduced to him, I am Team Rick. And I don't care about the missteps within the mechanics of the episode in bringing him to us. I'm glad he's here and we're better for it, Matthew. All right. So next week, we're going to be talking about season nine, episode 13, Something in Common. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And that is all. So thank you guys again for listening to this week's show. And remember. The facts of life are all about Rick's ass in them jeans. Yes. Damn. Ah.
I want some fries to go with that shake. Yes. I like Rick's butt and I cannot lie. Must be jelly because jam don't shake like that. Well, and I can't jelly his cock down my throat. Bye, David. (laughs) (laughs) You're fucking mess. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.